0: We are gathered here today to practice meditation, to bring the mind and gather it into the present moment. This present moment is both the fruit of the past as well as a cause for the future. In the present moment, we find both cause and effect. Sometimes in this present moment, as we sit down and apply ourselves to the practice, doubt may arise and we may ask about the usefulness of our meditation, or if we are truly able to achieve any degree of realization. If such questions continue to come up, we may grow discouraged Similarly, other hindrances might arise to keep us from growing calm. We may grow angry. We may grow afraid. Doubt may arise. And various hindrances of this nature can come with a strength that seems to border even on madness. For example, great fear in certain situations can come what people these these days call panic. And they can cause one to shiver, to tremble, and for the heart to beat, almost as if it was going to come out of one's chest. Such fear can arise for different people based on different conditions. Some are afraid of having to give a talk in front of a crowd or others may feel great fear at the prospect of being blamed. When they're honored and praised, they feel great elation. But when blamed or suffering any form of disrepute, they feel disappointment and are constantly afraid of such things happening. In all these cases, the essential quality which we must maintain is that of sati or mindfulness. This allows us to see all of these mental impressions as just this much. If we keep our mindfulness throughout the day, then all these things that come will be allowed to pass without expressing themselves. And when our concentration is not yet strong, and such mental impressions do arise and will not necessarily go away easily, it is essential that we practice patient endurance and not give voice or display these negative emotions, but rather patiently endure until they have passed. When such things proliferate, we maintain our sense of mindfulness and watch. And this practice of Pasana, the mindfulness of mental impressions, is of extreme importance. If we look on with Chittanupasana and the mind does not stop, then this may mean that we do not yet have enough Samadhi. However, if our concentration is strong, then we will perceive all these mental impressions as clearly not self. And the mind and its mental impressions will be known as two different things. The chitta is one thing, and those mental impressions are another the calm will allow us to see the rising and fall of such things and to let go. Sometimes, however, the mind still falls into states of darkness. This happens and we may try to keep mindfulness and watch the darkening mental impressions come to the mind. However, sometimes this takes a while. And if though we are able to keep our mindfulness, then when the mental impression finally does pass, we'll feel great inspiration and motivation because we see that these things do not control us. They will go away. However, this is difficult. We must practice with both liking and disliking. Similarly, mindfulness allows us to look clearly at the body along with samadhi. And if we have this quality of concentration and mindfulness, then we may use it to ask ourselves, where is this body beautiful? How do I perceive it as beautiful? If we see it as beautiful, then we attach and therefore suffer. And we may help ourselves detach from this form by asking ourselves in a state of calm, what part of this body truly that we see is beautiful? Is it the skin, the teeth, whatever, aspect we see as beautiful is pure delusion. For example, asking oneself about the teeth. If we don't brush, what happens? They begin to smell and grow dirty and colored. They begin to feature an odor based on the bits of food stuck and rotting in them. Or perhaps the food that we've taken in already and are digesting will come and give a smell that also comes out the mouth. And this is especially the case if we eat meat, which will rot in a sense in the stomach and give off a stench. Such things, once they've passed the mouth, even the best food has no value sweet food and savory all mixed together into one unattractive mess. And we can replicate and remember this by mixing all of our food in the bowl. How is it then? Do we still want to eat it? Is it still delicious? As a monastic, if you've not yet tried this, you should. Put it all in in the bowl every sort of food cut delight off. And if you try to eat in this way, you may find that you only get through half your portion before you feel like you've had plenty because you do not find it attractive in the same way. At Wapapong, some members of the community took this to extremes even there were anagarikas who would go to the basin of leftover food, which all the monks dumped their leftovers into and that anagarika would take his meal from there. This is an extreme example, but truly it represents the practice of working to perceive the repulsiveness of food. We see that if food grows rotten, it smells, especially meat, and this is what happens inside the body, out of sight. A vegetarian will feature less of a stench because the food in their stomach does not rot in the same way. Regardless, before we partake of food, we should work to spread loving kindness. We should watch the coming and going of our forms of liking and disliking for the food. And in this way, even in the activity of eating, the practice remains continuous. Of course, we also practice the middle path. We eat just enough. We watch what we like and what we don't like. And this, as Longport Cha said, watching, liking and disliking, letting go of both is the fastest route to Nibbana. When we fall into liking, it represents dukkha, suffering and stress. Eventually, seeing in this way will lead one to Nibbana, to enlightenment. But in our current state, in our current level of practice, even a little bit, will assist us on the path. These small steps work towards the final goal. And one should cultivate such contemplation of food as repulsive to develop wisdom, especially monastics, just as Longport Cha has taught. As lay people, we may not have to, one may not have to develop it with the same intention but still one should know when enough is enough. So this is what we do even with the most basic requisites. We work and practice as best we're able. One, if one eats too much, can become drunk on food, sleep too much based on the overeating. And Long and Kruba Ajans will sometimes scold one about this, saying, hey, you're drunk on food, aren't you? This is a way of waking us up to the danger, the kilases which grow stronger if we eat what we like. The same goes for sleep. We may begin to sleep too much. And this is something to watch out for, especially if we overeat as well. One can become drunk on sleep. We don't need to get more than an hour or so in the middle of the day. Two hours in the middle of the day is definitely too much. So be careful. As we practice, pay attention to these basics. How much food you eat, your feeling towards the food, how you eat it, how much you sleep, what you like and what you don't like. And at every instance, when possible, follow the path of Dhamma, go against the stream, and you'll move towards awakening.